today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Lots of news going on south of the border. Political news, of course. Uh, the Democratic Convention is happening. Uh, actually, wraps up tonight uh, virtually. Joe Biden, uh, the presidential nominee, uh, will speak to uh, the, the world and the country, of course. Last night, it was Kamala Harris's turn. Uh, and, uh, well, there was an all-star lineup, as there has been every night uh, on this virtual campaign. And former President Barack Obama uh, was one of the speakers. And in, in typical Obama fashion, uh, he went after Donald Trump and uh, made some pretty pretty pointed comments about the, the current president. Here's, here's Mr. Obama. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously. That he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. Typical Obama, of course, going after Trump. Uh, many people still think that uh, Obama's comments about Trump uh, during the uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner some years ago is actually the motivation for Trump to run for president. So uh, I know that he <laughs> takes blame for that, I guess, in some way, shape, or form. But anyway, obviously Trump's got a, a target on his back because of what the Democrats are doing and their expectations for November. Joining us to talk about uh, the convention and what's going on, Reggie Cicchini, of course, Global News in Washington. Reggie, thanks for the time on a very busy day today. Glad you could join us. Good morning, Bill, and just one uh, uh, one uh, fix there in Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, are you? Okay. Well, that's uh, where the, the 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 guy is right now. Of course, that's home. To, well, not hometown, obviously, but it's it's where Joe Biden's been hanging out and where a lot of this has been going on. It was uh, give me your. I, I want to before we get into that. I want to quickly pivot to something else, uh, and that, of course, is the Steve Bannon story that we've been carrying for the last couple of hours here on CHML. Uh, he, of course, is a former advisor with Breitbart News and an advisor for the Trump campaign, and actually worked in the Trump administration for a while. Uh, he was arrested today. Maybe you could explain to our listeners what's going on there. Yeah, look, this marks now at least the sixth upwards of potentially the ninth uh, close person to Donald Trump, either as a president or as a, a, a campaign, uh, to be indicted on federal charges. And what we know from this indictment that was uh, unsealed earlier this morning is that Bannon was arrested while on a boat off the coast of Connecticut by the U.S. Postal Service. And this is linked to a fraud investigation uh, to a fundraising campaign that he, along with a number of other men, were uh, allegedly involved in that defrauded hundreds of thousands of dollars from people. Uh, and this, this kind of fundraiser was called, quote, We Build the Wall. It was an attempt to take money from people and give it to uh, the construction of that southern border wall uh, between the U.S. and Mexico. And what investigators say is that the money instead went to these lavish lifestyles for these four men, including Bannon, uh, including, you know, luxury cars and, and jewelry and cosmetic surgery uh, and a boat. Uh, so this is now uh, a kind of a, an unwanted scandal that could potentially create some shadows as the RNC gets set to start up next week. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see just how uh, Trump re- responds to this. And uh, I know you're watching the Twitter feed to see how that goes. Uh, as they say in the biz, Reggie, more come on this one. Let's let's talk about the convention now and, and what's been going on. Uh, your impressions of, of, of Kamala Harris's uh, speech last night. Well, look, she did what uh, she was brought into the campaign to do, and that was try to bridge the gap between the different factions of the Democratic Party, but also to act as an attack dog on the current administration. And while we heard more of those attacks come from Barack Obama last night, uh, uh, Kamala Harris 
took the time to be able to talk about not only this kind of trail that she's blazing and that has been blazed before her by decades and decades of women's movement, but also by this ability for uh, what she believes will be her party's uh, um, uh, ability to kind of rebuild what has been damaged under the eyes of Democrats with Donald Trump's presidency linked to racial injustices, linked to immigration, uh, linked to, to gun reform. This was uh, a moment for her to shine. Uh, and despite the fact that you have conservative media outlets essentially calling the rest of the media Democratic cheerleaders, this was a, a remarkable moment for the Democrats and for Kamala Harris. There's another element to this, too, and I know that uh, you've talked about this, Reggie, with your reporting. Uh, one of the other stated goals, I guess, was for her to introduce herself to the American people. I mean, we uh, the, we who follow politics know Kamala Harris. We know about her track record and, and her past, of course, as, as, as a senator and, of course, uh, you know, in law reform and things of this nature. But there was a remarkably high number of Americans that, when they were polled, said they didn't know much about her. So this, this was really an introduction and an opportunity for her to talk to, to the American people about who she is and what she's stands for exactly and it was an opportunity for people who may not have known who she was outside of the odd headline to see uh, uh somebody that they may not be used to seeing on such an elevated national level uh like someone who is accepting a vice presidential nominee that being a woman who is uh, the child of immigrants a woman who is a black american uh with indian heritage these are things that are uh important to a growing minority and a diverse base around the united states uh, which you've heard from Kamala Harris and you've heard from Joe Biden to say, look, people that look like you do exist and you have that opportunity to be able to elevate yourself up to those levels that these, uh, that someone like Kamala Harris is at right now. That's why the Democrats are really saying, look, this may be a party that's built on the establishment, but they're really looking to move towards the future. She checks a lot of boxes in that regard, doesn't she, Reggie? Obviously, you know, first woman, of course, uh, uh, to be nominated, well, if, if in fact this happens, but of course the first black woman as well. Uh, but she played on the ethnicity of it, not just the fact that she was black, but she, she, she talked about her, her Indian heritage as well. And talked about how important uh, her upbringing was and talked about the importance that her mother played uh, in the role and, and elevating her to where she is now. But not just that, talking about the kind of civil rights movements that have existed in this country and the, the, the path that women uh, for decades now really have been kind of uh, 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 clearing for someone like her to get where she is. She really is making this uh, a moment about how she grew up the lessons that she learned uh, and where she was able to put herself today. And I think that is something that Democrats are hoping will resonate not only with people throughout kind of the upper echelons of the party, but right down to that base that may still feel disenfranchised because they may not be fully or may not have uh, full faith in someone like Joe Biden. And, and therein lies the, the concern here. And I, I guess that's always going to be a key element when you're, you're selecting a, a nominee for vice president. Uh, what can they bring to the ticket? Uh, what, what does she bring, aside from, from the points you've just mentioned here? Is she going to motivate people to get out and vote? That, that seems to be one of the key questions here. Yeah, and I think that there is a possibility for, uh, for her to be able to galvanize some of that vote. And a lot of that has to do with the diverse base around the United States and inside the Democratic Party. If you look at polling, uh, Latino Americans follow and, and, and have faith in someone like Kamala Harris uh, in numbers that are on the plus side of 60 and 70 percent. She still does resonate well uh, with uh, South Asian uh, Americans. She does resonate with black Americans. So there is this opportunity for her to bring people in. But there is also an opportunity for her to deal with some of those progressive members of the Democratic Party, again, who don't like Joe Biden, but see her as somebody potentially maybe not being 
as progressive as someone like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, but also sees her as being someone uh, who's willing to work with all of the different segments inside this party to try and work for the betterment to get everything rolling forward. There were a lot of people in four years ago that, uh, that just did not like Hillary Clinton, and, and some voted for Trump. A lot of them just stayed home. Uh, how important is it for the Democrats to, to, as you said, engage those voters that, 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 that didn't vote last time to get out and support this? I mean, we know that you know, Trump with his uh, shenanigans with the Postal Service and everything is doing as best he can to try to initiate voter suppression, but uh, it seems to me as if there seems to be a mood down there, especially, as you mentioned, with, with black Americans, Latino Americans, to say, I don't care what he does, we're going to vote, we're going to find a way to do this. And that was a common theme last night, no matter what the policy platform that was being talked about, whether it was immigration, whether it was racial injustice, whether uh, it was gun reform. The, the underlying message to that from the Democrats was get out and vote. You heard that from Barack Obama. You heard that from Kamala Harris. You also heard that from someone like Gabrielle Giffords, who is uh, obviously uh, a person who has been impacted by gun violence. It ended her political career and her final words uh, in her speech were vote, vote, vote. Hillary Clinton came out and said, look, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they can get three million more votes, but not win. And then she said that she knows that for a fact. So there is that kind of uh, messaging in the Democratic Party that you do need to get out and vote and that every vote does matter. Every individual does count as one person who can move that party into the win. Reggie, what are you hearing uh, from from the folks that are around there and especially down where you are today in in Biden country? the, the campaign is usually not supposed to go into full gear until just after Labor Day. I, I get the sense that these guys want to hit the road as soon as possible. Absolutely, they do. And, and, and it's because uh, they're quickly running out of time. But they also understand uh, what they're up against when it comes to not only uh, President Trump's ability to kind of take the attention from the Democrats, but also uh, for the way that the Trump campaign oftentimes puts their tactics front and center, uh, regardless of whether or not they are kind of considered within the political norm. There is this understanding uh, that at any moment, anything that the Democrats are doing can be hijacked by something that the president says or something that the president tweets or some kind of executive order. So in trying to drum up the support early for Kamala Harris, trying to get this kind of new style of convention to make the, the, uh, the viral moments uh, happen a little bit quicker. Uh, this is their chance to start the campaigning now uh, and kind of look past it and say, look, usually we don't start this until September. There's nothing that says that we can't just do this right now. Well, I mean, one of the other unwritten norms, of course, was that, well, when the other guys are having their convention, uh, your candidate just kind of lays low. I don't think that, well, certainly Trump hasn't done that this week. And I, I would think Biden's probably going to follow suit next week. Well, and I mean, especially with these new revelations that are coming out linked to President Trump, whether it's with uh, the Steve Bannon story that's out today or whether it's with President Trump uh, failing once again earlier today uh, to to stop uh, the New York district attorney from being able to subpoena mm-hmm. his financial records, uh, you know, likely sending this back to another Supreme Court battle. This is all fuel for the Democrats to potentially try and offer their own style of counter-programming to whatever the Republicans uh, are going to be doing with their convention next week. You know, there's no schedule out. We don't know what's going to happen with that. And while the Democrats may not, uh, you know, take uh, undertake a big uh, travel schedule like the president did today, up to and including Donald Trump heading into Scranton, Pennsylvania, Joe Biden's birthplace later today, uh, there will be opportunities for them to take shots at the president, at the administration, and at the record. Reggie Cicchini, uh, down in uh, Wilmington, Delaware, of course, uh, Biden country these days. Uh, great reporting, Reggie. We'll watch for your stuff on Global National over the next couple of days. Thanks again for this today. Thank you.
Take care. Uh, I want to get a different perspective on this, too, uh, about what's been going on in this convention. I mean, this is new. We're breaking new ground here with virtual conventions because of COVID-19. I want to bring uh, Josh Pasek into the conversation. Uh, Mr. Pasek is an associate professor of communications and media and a faculty associate in the Center for Political Studies at Michigan Institute for Data Source and, of course, at the University of Michigan. Uh, professor, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. Uh, thanks for having me. Give me your perspective from a public relations and from a, a media savvy perspective here. Uh, is this working? Is, this, is is what the Democrats doing this week virtually, which is a very huge challenge, of course. But is it capturing American voters? Are they watching? Are they listening to what's going on? So, I mean, it's clear that audiences are down from what they've been in the past. So it's not as as heavily watched as it has been in prior years. Um, but that said, the Democrats. You know, doing a virtual convention in many interesting ways fits the Democrats' message right now, which is that they're paying attention to things like coronavirus and trying to be serious about it in a way where the Republicans are not. And so from that perspective, even if the audience is down, the message fits, and I think that resonates. It's it's almost as if the things that are happening, as, as tragic as they are with COVID and, and with a number of other things that are going on in Black Lives Matter and, and, and the protests that have happened, is feeding right into the Democratic narrative. I mean, even yesterday, the, uh, the, the, the announcement that the Supreme Court says they're going to hear arguments uh, about, uh, you know, tearing apart Obamacare, they're going to do that the week after the election. Uh, that's, that's, that's fodder for the Democrats to jump right onto and said, see, this is why we have to make a change. It seems to be fitting right into what they're trying to get to. I think a lot of the Democrats' messages are resonating right now. The issue, um, as I see it, is really which of those messages is the one that grabs voters um, and gets them to pay enough attention to actually get out to the polls and to do the work they need to do, um, especially because a lot of Democrats may be more hesitant or Democratic voters may be more hesitant to head to physical polling places um, in the fall. And so things like you know, the logistics of early voting and actually getting people to do that in a bunch of states where that hasn't been typical is going to be an interesting challenge for the Democratic Party in the next few months. Is, is that a problem they might face here, where they're just they're putting too much out there that, that, that voters need one issue or maybe two issues to, to, to laser focus on, and, but there's so much there? I mean, if you're, if you're doing a smorgasbord here, I mean, the, the message can get lost in that. I think that's right. If you look um, at what happened four years ago, um, Donald Trump media, or messages about Donald Trump were all over the map. They were talking about very different things every week. And if you looked at what people were talking about with respect to Hillary Clinton, it was one thing, email. Even though email wasn't even a single issue, that's what people were talking about. And the fact that that was what was in people's minds helped drive people to the polls and helped them figure out what they were doing um, in a way that wasn't as clear with Trump. And so with so many issues potentially on the radar, it's an interesting question whether that plays positively or negatively for them. Well, if uh, Joe Biden calls you when we're finished our conversation here and says, Professor, what, what's, what's that issue? What do I need to really jump on here to resonate? Uh, and I understand it may be different in Michigan than it might be in Illinois than it might be in California, but, but you're right. There has to be some consistency with what they're presenting here. Is it the economy or is it COVID? I mean, where do they go here? I think it's got to be coronavirus right now. I think that is the thing that, you know, you can point to Trump and say he just hasn't done what he needed to do there. Um, and that message works for the Democrats, because right now, this country is not in the place it should ostensibly be, given the public health infrastructure and the resources that we have. It, it does make sense, really, doesn't it? Because, I mean, most of the other issues that we've talked about, especially the economy, are, are so tied to what's happening with COVID. I mean, it's 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 really, I, I guess, exposed a lot of the other weaknesses that they've talked about here, but it really does come back to the virus, doesn't it? 
It does. And, you know, the president had a decent case to make for himself on the economy. But with COVID, that case has essentially evaporated and he hasn't found a good way around it. And and then, of course, we've got, you know, looking down the road a little bit, I mean, as people start thinking about voting and heading to the polls, and I know that's different in different jurisdictions, uh, we keep hearing Dr. Fauci talking about a second wave, which is probably the last thing the Trump administration wants to see is to see spikes in this and people saying, yeah, I guess these guys were right. Well, what we haven't seen is a case where we really suppressed this thing to a, a much lower level than it had been at before. There was a, a spike that came in sort of April. Um, that spike receded to some degree, but it never went away. It came back even more so more recently, and it seems poised to do do so again because we haven't really um, taken the sort of hammer-it-down approach that a bunch of other countries have successfully done. I, a quick story, a question about strategy here. Uh, and we already know, I think, Donald Trump's game plan is basically attack, 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 and, and try to denigrate his opponents, whoever that might be. And he's tried that with Sleepy Joe, the, the phrase that he always uses on Twitter, which I really don't get the sense is really resonating anymore. Uh, they seem to have trouble trying to, to, to lay something on Kamala Harris at this stage, too. Uh, you know, they tried the birther thing. That fizzled after a couple of days. Uh, now they're trying to paint her as a left winger, which I, I don't necessarily think many people are going to gravitate to. Uh, how do you develop a strategy like that? Because that's, that's Trump's game, and if he doesn't have that, I don't know that he's got much left. Yeah, well, Trump has a real problem being an incumbent because – Typically, in in U.S. presidential elections, what people look for is they look to sort of make a decision on how well the incumbent has done. And when your entire strategy set is to to play to, well, look at that other guy, that just doesn't work as well when you're the person who's been in office. Uh, And so he's got a much harder challenge than he did last cycle, and it's, it's unclear exactly what he can do to succeed at that. It's clear what he's trying to do. He's trying to sort of portray these divisions in society and use them as much as possible to his advantage. Um, but whether that succeeds or not uh, seems iffy at the moment. Well, that uh, old Ronald Reagan line, are you better off than you were four years ago, I think is going to get a lot of play in the next few months, don't you? Indeed. Absolutely. Professor, great talking with you. Thank you so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Professor Josh Pasek, of course, from the University of Michigan. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.